2: Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you talking about the latest and greatest in St. Louis innovation, new approaches, new ways of thinking about things. And uh, you've got a couple of great interviews. I'm going to check out Global Hack. We've got an action packed show coming up, including you went to. New York City for one of these conversations. Travis? I
0: did. I went and tracked down uh, a St. Louis, um, I won't say native, TerraFam, lived here for a, went to grad school, went to school here from California originally. Definitely
2: became a part of the community, though. She really yeah. embraced St. Louis. St. Louis embraced her. She and... still
0: wears a Florida Lee around her neck. She's oh, so, nice. so dedicated to the city. Uh, living in New York now, went out there for a tech accelerator. We talk about accelerators a lot. This is uh, an accelerator that focuses on technologies that help cities.
2: And that's what uh, her startup, Numina, when we had them in Correct. to talk about, there they were sensors, I think, that measured the activity of uh, drivers, cyclists, pedestrians on, on the street, if I'm remembering correctly. Exactly.
0: And it, it, it allows planners and city officials to know what the behaviors are on the street really are. Really, how are people using the street that they maybe didn't plan? And well, one of the things that uh, she mentioned in this interview that, we'll, that you'll hear is people end up uh, picking where they want to cr- uh, jaywalk. Like jaywalkers have a direct path. It's almost like when you're hiking in the woods and you see there's a switchback, there's that one place everybody cuts through. Uh, it's know, like,
2: oh, there's the store I'm going to right across the other uh, crosswalks all the way up.
0: Right, there. so, uh, so yeah, it's pretty interesting what her technology could do. And I was in New York for for work, and I thought, let's let's chat.
2: Awesome. And then <laughs> this is this is old technology trying to adapt to this new world. You you checked out a printing company and what they're doing to adapt.
0: Yeah, there's a modern litho, a longstanding, uh, not just St. Louis but re- uh, throughout the entire state, uh, printing company. So. I know you're automatically thinking that's not very sexy, but if you think about it, we interact with print all the time, be it billboards or magazines or things on your car, whatever they might be, brochures, junk mail. And uh, this is a legacy industry that has to innovate in order to stay relevant. And so I got to sit down uh, with their vice president of strategy and talk about what they're doing as a sector, as an industry and as a company to stay relevant. And uh, really Hmm. to compete with, you know, the the online printing or things going more digital. How does the print and digital marry itself?
2: Yeah, that's interesting because... Even airline pilots who'd have to carry literally a suitcase just for the manual, Right now they just carry an iPad on, yeah. and that's a lot of paper that they're not shuffling around anymore, so that'll be interesting. And then we brought you a preview of this last week. It's Global Hack 7 taking place at Schaeffers Arena this weekend, and the focus this time for the hackathon is on... Innovating to improve the experiences of foreign-born folks in the St. Louis area, which has been a priority for the Mosaic Project and a civic priority to help increase the region's population by increasing those who are foreign-born, who live here, and who, by the way, are more likely to start businesses. But it's also maybe been a little bit more difficult for immigrants to navigate getting into the country and getting to St. Louis and getting around.
0: Yeah, and so when we talked to Matt last week, he gave us set the set the stage of what Global Hack is going to be about. Uh, and this week, you actually are. Boots on the ground, in the field, uh, experiencing Global Hack.
2: Going to the arena, checking it out, yeah. Not SLU basketball, this is Global Hack. at SLU this weekend.
0: And I don't want to talk about stereotypes, but I would imagine nerds got to be pretty excited to be playing in a big arena.
2: Oh, right there on the floor? That's with right, all the, yeah. We've got to fill the seats, though. Got to get the right. audience in there. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about this week.
0: It's been a good week, though.
2: Why don't we take a break and we'll get right to it.
0: Let's do it. We'll be back on Nothing Impossible. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan on location in New York City, technically in Dumbo, which uh, I cannot tell you what that... I know something about a bridge and underneath a bridge. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm in New York, and I'm catching up with Tara Pham. Uh, for our listeners who don't know cool people in St. Louis or have St. Louis roots, uh, Tara Fam was a St. Louis uh, resident, uh, had a startup out of St. Louis, and moved to New York, and she is the uh, CEO and co-founder of Newman, Numina? Mm-hmm. CEO and co-founder of Numina. Uh, Tara, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. Dumbo stands for Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass, by the way.
0: There we go. Okay. <laughs> Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Uh, so, Tara, tell us a little bit about what your, your company is, is like just as a kind of a baseline for people.
3: Yeah. So, uh, at Numena we're building a data utility for cities. Basically, we measure all kinds of street-level activity. Um, mainly for urban planning purposes. And we do that with a sensor that easily mounts to light poles and in a completely privacy-first way can detect all different kinds of travelers in the street. Um, We we like to say we specialize in the things that don't move in lanes, so people, bicycles, dogs, bags of trash. Um, We do also measure vehicles, but um, we're really trying to make all the other travelers in streets uh, sort of important and a focus of cities and planners.
0: Well, St. Louis drivers don't always move in lanes. So <laughs> there's that piece. So I mean, how is this data used? How, uh, how are these data used for the city planners?
3: Um, so the big thing is, I mean, just generally speaking, um, most cities in the U.S., especially if they are, I would say, west of the Mississippi, they're really built around cars and car counts. Um, And actually, one of the major kind of inspirations or part of our founding story as a company is that my co-founder, Martin McGreal, and I were both hit by vehicles while riding our bikes in St. Louis. Um, We recognize that, you know, those incidents aren't really just accidents. They're kind of inevitable when you don't have good infrastructure for the non-driver traveling in the street. And um, so generally, just having better data allows them to justify evaluate um infrastructure uh for for people not just for cars and i'll give an a specific example um we deployed in jacksonville florida last year they had the highest pedestrian fatality rate of any major american city um in one intersection where they had a lot of anecdotal information that pedestrians were acting crazy and Mm -hmm. jaywalking and really causing all these safety issues Uh, our sensor was able to detect that yes there were a lot of pedestrians crossing mid-block so not at the crosswalk um, but they all cross at a actually a very specific band across the street Hmm. and so what we were able to do is tell the city you can paint on a crosswalk exactly where pedestrians already cross and that's like a 30 dollars can of paint as opposed to what might be you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in capital improvements that when cities don't have good data, you know that's kind of their default reaction.
0: And wow, that's uh, that's really interesting. So people jaywalk all the time, but it's kind of like when you go camping and you're in the foothills. If people are going to cut through uh, a trail, there's always a, a switchback. There's always this uh, you know groove in the in the land. Is that what your data were showing? Is that people are going to jaywalk in a very specific location?
3: Yeah, exactly. Wow. So those are called desire lines. Um, so they are you know, the paths that we naturally want to take. Um, And really, you know, cities, the the automotive industry really worked wonders in convincing Mm -hmm. cities, hey, cars are actually, you know, they require the public right of way and everyone else should be pushed to the side, you are jaywalking and breaking the rules if you enter the street, um, which is crazy because all of the space in between buildings was originally for people on foot or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. with a horse and buggy, um, but a totally different mode of transit. And so, um, yeah, we actually look at the desire lines of pedestrians and, you know, end goal, the big vision is that as mobility changes significantly, you know, we're getting new modes like scooters and mm-hmm. e-bikes, um, but also, even automotive travel is changing with autonomy Uh, i think this is a huge opportunity for cities to completely rethink their design like Mm -hmm. maybe we don't need two lanes each way on every standard street um maybe we don't even need on-street parking anymore because you're dropped off by your rideshare or your autonomous vehicle drives away and then what do we do with all that that street space that we get to reclaim for new purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we collect data that hopefully will inform that in the future.
0: I'm going to start referring to my wrinkles as desire lines, I think, <laughs> as, as I get older. Uh, now you came to New York and you participated in a, an accelerator program and you know, for our listeners in St. Louis, they, we've talked about accelerators that have a specific focus. So uh, the Yield Lab in St. Louis focuses on ag tech businesses and Stadia Ventures is on sports tech, but you were in Urban X up here in New York. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience is and what that, uh, that accelerator does?
3: Yeah, so we were in the first cohort of UrbanX, and it is um, a joint venture today between BMW and an urban tech VC called UrbanUS. When we participated, actually, their first cohort, their VC partner was a hardware VC called SOSV. Um, And they focus on really just anything, either specifically selling to city governments... Um, or to urban populations, So we are probably one of the more like B to G companies where we sell an infrastructure to cities. Um, But a lot of the other companies, for example, focus on um, services for urban populations, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, modular housing or uh, I know in the current cohort, there's a foldable bike helmet. Mm. Um, And so, uh, really broad range of companies but generally all pretty much hard tech for cities in, in a broad definition yeah
0: well I, I think it's um, I think it's great that we have these these niche you know accelerators because you can your cohort is made up of companies that are trying to solve similar challenges or maybe selling to the same type of customer, but the experts, the, the mentors and the, the, the connections are probably geared that way as well. Right?
3: Yeah. So actually um, that's a really good point. So we joined the accelerator at the time we had uh, a prototype of our pro- product. Um, again, it's a sensor that mounts to light poles and ours at the time was made with completely off the shelf parts and basically a lot of duct tape Mm -hmm. Um, and so our goal in joining UrbanX was to have BMW engineers for three months designing um, our sensor for manufacturability which they did so that's how we got to our first Mm -hmm. version Um, and now we actually just kind of launched the second version of our hardware last week Um, but like one funny sort of finding out of that we were looking at Various enclosures. So our sensor deploys on streets. It has to be weathered, at, weatherized for the outdoors, um, in pretty extreme environments like hurricanes in Jacksonville and you know winters in New York. Um, we were looking at all these different boxes, and then. We ended up landing on, on what we now have, which is kind of a tube form factor, and our enclosure is made out of sewer pipes. So it's hmm. four-inch PVC that normally carries waste. Yeah. Um, we put our sensor in that, and we make you know custom caps so that it's, it's weather-sealed. Um, but it's really cool. It does not look like any other street infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a design idea um, with our our BMW engineers that we actually we still work with one of the industrial designers that we met through UrbanX.
0: So uh, before you go uh, you you know you're living in New York now um, you've done a lot as it relates to kind of building a community here becoming part of a community here describe the New York community the startup community that you that you've you're growing into and learning about.
3: Um, it's well it's funny because tech in New York or startups in New York is actually very small. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I didn't think anything was small in New York. Everything was big.
3: (laughs) Well, relatively. I mean, (laughs) it's still big. Um, A fraction in
0: New York is like somebody else's entire GDP. Yeah,
3: (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Well, actually, it's funny. So um, we work with New York City Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. Their population alone is about the size of the city of Miami. So to your point, it really is like a percentage, a single digit percentage of the city is bigger than like a lot of major... Mm -hmm. American cities. Um, yeah, so tech is actually relative to the rest of New York, small, mm-hmm. um, which is cool because there's... It actually feels more accessible than I maybe would have expected or when you mm-hmm. expect when you, like, first walk out of Penn Station mm-hmm. and, or something like that. Um, so I like that. It's very diverse. Like, mm-hmm. one thing that I really like about New York over, say, San Francisco startup mm-hmm. scene... Um, it's just so diverse, both like demographically and industry wise. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool. I'm still learning and meeting people. We, we kind of fall into a few different groups. We fall into the urban tech sort of scene and then also in the hardware scene. Mm-hmm. And um, all, all really cool people solving problems in both of those verticals.
0: So, uh, this is not something that, uh, the general customer is going to go out and put in their own backyard, but, uh, if governments are interested in your technology, where can they learn more about it?
3: Our website is numina.co.co. Yeah. You can also look up, uh, we just deployed in downtown Brooklyn last week. Mm -hmm. So we have a a project starting live there. We'll actually be in 10 cities in the next three to four months, depending on how bad winter weather is, (laughs) um, on our installations. Um, and so, yeah, you'll, you'll see us around um, and, and shoot me an email, maybe email Travis and he'll connect us.
0: <laughs> I will always connect people to Terra. Tara Fam, uh, co-founder and CEO of Numina. Thanks for taking the time chatting with us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me and for visiting our office.
0: It's great here. Everybody should come to New York and hang out. We'll be back. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan on location at Modern Litho, uh, located right in the hill in the heart of St. Louis. And I'm walking around and get to experience their grand reopening of their new space. It's an open house. And I think when you think of printing, uh, maybe you think of you know those circulars that you get in the mail or even sometimes junk mail. Uh, But so much that we see and interact with on a daily basis is printed, be it billboards or car wrap. And you might wonder why are we talking about this on a show related to innovation? Well, this is a a legacy industry that has to innovate to stay relevant, not just now, but long into the future. And so I'm sitting down with a couple of uh, team members and uh, executives with uh, Modern Litho. We have Jeff Davidson, who is uh, in charge of uh, corporate strategy. And uh, we have Cassandra Atchison, uh, who's in charge of marketing and communications. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us, Travis. Uh, Cassandra, I'm going to start with you. We'll get over to strategy in just a second. Uh, I think your role is interesting because... Uh, you do marketing uh, for an for a company that sells products that are marketing related. How have you seen this industry change in the last few years?
4: Um, I think that um, print buyers are changing in general. Um, they're becoming more marketing strategists, and so we've had to adapt our strategy to really come in earlier in the conversation with um, with marketing departments. So we really like to come in and be ahead of their whole. Um, their whole strategy, so that we can figure out what products and services through print can add value to their overall strategies.
0: And are you so. s- are, are you seeing them still doing a lot of print? I mean, I uh, I think heaven forbid somebody says, "Oh, I don't need a graphic designer because my nephew knows a, d- a Photoshop type uh, of thing." Uh, <laughs> right. are, what are you seeing as the the biggest things that they're printing or communicating through print these days?
4: Um, Well, I I think that print is definitely part of the overall strategy. As far as it works with the digital avenues, Um, it is not an and or situation. It is definitely oh sorry, it's not an or situation. Mm -hmm. It's an and situation. So, how does your print magnify your digital strategy, and how does your your digital strategy work with your print? Um, You really do have to have both for them to be effective. And so, we try to you know walk the walk, and Mm -hmm. we do the same thing. We have a very robust digital strategy, even though we. Are a mark or a, a printing company doing marketing? You know, mm-hmm. but um, so we we really try to combine the two and um, stay on the the leading edge of that of that strategy. So
0: that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I. Uh I run by day, run venture cafe. It's a uh, it's a very analog environment, right? I would, I would consider print a very analog environment. And what we often say is that relationships might get started digitally, but they're strengthened in analog. And I would say the same thing probably happens in the print world as well. You might start something on the periphery from a digital impression, uh, but having a magazine that you look through. And my wife is a librarian, so the tactile, tactile mm-hmm. nature of printed materials really helps a person deepen a re- deepen their relationship with a message
3: oh
4: absolutely I think that um, a printed piece can definitely add credibility and definitely strengthen that impression that you give Um, and that's why it's been around for as long as it has been and the uh, technology in this industry is just amazing Um, we're trying to stay uh, ahead of the game with some of the leading technologies and um, you know continue to deliver help our customers deliver those messages So,
0: Jeff, I want to turn over to you now. Speaking of staying relevant, and I mean, we all knew what happened when the printing press was invented and how that (laughs) revolutionized the world. What are you you
5: looking at as it relates to strategy for modern litho? Well, so that's a great question. Um, You know, I would say that, number one, what we're trying to do to expand on what Cassandra and what you were talking about is is the printed piece is adding value. We've been touching a printed piece for thousands of years, right? Um, And so it's ingrained in who we are as humans. Um, and so uh, the difference is now that we're competing with other media when the printing press was invented, it was the only way to get out a message. Now it's one of very many ways. So um, we have to be uh, we have to be faster, we have to be cheaper, we have to be uh, more timely, we have to be more accurate, all of these things with our messaging that we're bringing to the market. So whenever we look at a strategy we think, You know, how can we augment the printed piece today? How can we bring additional value to our customers? How can we make sure that this uh, media is relevant to our society today? And those are how we start to evaluate uh, products, um, uh, different uh, areas that we want to go into. Uh, We look at it to add value to our customer base. I mentioned the printing press, but I guess we shouldn't forget
0: about, you know, papyrus and yeah. wall writing and like the <laughs> earliest forms of printing. <laughs> That's exactly right.
5: Right. It's ingrained in our human DNA.
4: Yeah. It's thousands
5: of
0: years. Yeah. So, it's really you know.
4: what differentiates us from animals. <laughs> yeah. The fact
5: yeah. that we can write. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we've been communicating ideas in print, passing print back and forth into our physical hands for uh, for so long uh, we don't think it's going anywhere it's not sexy right it's unsexy uh, it's not as cool as a podcast but I tell you what you know you can really communicate value with print and that's where we see our customers using it mm-hmm. when they want to get that true value communication into somebody's hands they're doing it with print
0: now I've uh, I've seen and I've experienced uh, the role that augmented reality is Playing combined with print. Are you? Uh, is Modern Litho getting into that space at all?
5: Uh, we have gone into uh, augmented uh, augmented reality. Um, it's it's definitely in a weird position right now. It, it came in. It's kind of a novelty uh, right now. Nobody yeah, really knows how to do anything with that, that's it. That's yeah. exactly right. I would say <laughs> yeah. you know it got really hot. There was a lot of startups around uh, mm-hmm. virtual reality and augmented reality, and, and those things are really taken a. Uh, a lot of heat on, mm-hmm. in the venture capital side, right? Yeah. It's kind of in a uh, nuclear winter right now yeah. of uh, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. Uh, but we think there's a space for it at mm-hmm. some point in the future. Uh, someone, uh, whether that's Apple or Microsoft mm-hmm. or someone, will will uh, perfect that technology as a deliverable to us uh, more easily than it is today. Um, and it'll be a great way in the future to interact with not just printed material that you hold in your hands but printed signage Mm -hmm. um out in out in the real world and so we're excited about what augmented reality can do Mm -hmm. uh, for our industry and we're uh uh, we've we've been a little bit i think uh as a as an industry on the bleeding edge of that and so Mm -hmm. i think people are stepping back and saying let's figure out what the applications are let's figure out how to do it really well and then let's let's come in and reintroduce it when the time is right
0: one of the thi- so I mentioned my wife being a librarian, and everybody always asks her, Well, there's e readers, is our library going to disappear? And she says, No, they're not going to disappear because people still need access to information. I mean, that's really what libraries provide. Mm-hmm. If I look at the print world, um, you know, we maybe the volume of overall, like magazines, are being reduced, but I'm noticing more and more niche publications, mm-hmm. right, that are very targeted. Um, Cassandra, can you talk a little bit about that, how you've seen uh, you know, maybe the mass media is starting to shrink a little bit, but niche media is really finding a home.
4: Oh, absolutely! Um, I think definitely, even in uh, communities and regional territories um, around a certain hobby or interest, um, that's actually really um, a bread and butter product of modern litho. Uh, we probably print over 500 plus custom publication titles, and they're not large quantities. I mean, you're talking a community of maybe you know two to five thousand, but those people are bought into that um, to that community, and they they want to contribute. They want to consume that content and um, it's just really cool and obviously we talked about how um, a printed magazine really does add that value for that community and um, it's just a a lot of times that magazine is the lifeblood that that Mm -hmm. community surrounds themselves around so yeah absolutely We, we definitely have seen the the rise of the niche publication
5: market? I would say, you know, uh, I tell people all the time when they visit our uh, publication printing facility Mm -hmm. in Jefferson City that if there's an interest that you have, there's a magazine for it. Right. It's incredible. (laughs) I mean, I I could list off title after title Mm -hmm. of uh, hobby and interest groups, professional groups, um, animals, those kind of things. I mean, uh, there are entire communities as as Cassandra and men out there. They're small communities, but they're tight-knit communities. Mm -hmm. They love what they do. They're passionate about it. And the media that they choose to share that passion with each other is is printed media. It's it's a magazine, um, and all of them have uh, digital content as well. They all right. have a website, yep. uh, and they all do a great job of communicating content via that. Uh, but you know, when they really want to get that cover story into people's hands, they want to get those photos uh, into people's hands. Uh, they do it via their magazine. So
0: it it again. We talked about this has been going on for not just. Generations or centuries, but millennia—you know—passing story down in the written form and the printed form. And these niche communities, Cassandra, as you mentioned, they have uh, communicate information needs to get communicated to them, and the printed uh, media is medium is one of the best ways or effective ways to do that. Uh, So that means if people are out there thinking, "I wish I could have a magazine about blank or a publication about blank," it either exists or they can work with Modern Litho make help make it happen, right? Bring that to life.
4: Absolutely, we make your ideas we make it tangible and mm-hmm. real and that's what print is all about you know taking an idea and you can see it in printed form so yeah absolutely we can help with that
5: I would say, you know, to expand on that, um, the way that we've grown our business and the way that we've grown our equipment, you can go to any of our facilities and you can see these these beautiful uh, big pieces of equipment and you would think, oh man, they're really interested in doing a million of something or five million yeah. of something, right? Yeah. But really what our equipment is geared towards is towards short run. We've built our entire business around these small, small runs, a thousand of something, 2000 mm-hmm. or something. So while people sometimes think, oh, my idea is too small, my my uh, My need is too small. I'm, I may not want to work with a big company like modern litho. It's really you know the bread and butter of what we do is Con- Cassandra mentioned yeah.
0: so uh, Jeff, you' I'm not going I'm going force you to have somewhat of a crystal ball right now like what what is the, what does the future look like? What, like what is what's next for uh, this industry or even modern
5: litho? Uh, so I would say as the industry as a whole, there's consolidation mm-hmm. in our future um, and I'm in in massive consolidation we've We've probably lost. Uh, three or four thousand printing firms I would say in the in the last you know two or three years and that's going to continue to happen um, you know there's going to be consolidation and you'll see um, really good companies uh, have, and I'm and I'm not brag but uh, like modern Litho uh, the cream rise to the top uh, to grow to innovate to invest and then you'll see the folks that that didn't do that that didn't take that path you know kind of slowly move out of the industry so there'll be consolidation um, I think that we'll continue to focus at a personalized level more and more. So, what you see today is uh, a good example, maybe J. Crew, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, a J. Crew magazine came to your house and it had everything that J. Crew offered. It had the children's clothes, it had the women's clothes, it had yeah. the men's. Uh, now what do you get? You get essentially a magalog, right? And it comes to Travis and it's got the men's clothing. And then it comes to Travis's wife and it's got the ladies stuff and, yeah. uh, or, or the children's uh, apparel. So that's what we're seeing. And then we're seeing that driven down via data analytics to a personal level mm-hmm. where they know that Travis is interested in a certain segment of their clothing. And so we're going to send Travis the magazine that has the shoes. And the jackets because that's what Travis buys from us, and then uh, Jeff gets the shirts and the pants, right? So that's what we're seeing. I think that's from a strategy standpoint and a future standpoint, uh, a print driven down to an individual level. It's just
0: nice to know that I'm going to be a future where I'm not wearing pants, Jeff. Thank you, thank you. So, so much. Yeah. I've got shoes and jackets on, but you all right. No pants. Uh, so if people want to, uh, you know, while we do these stories, uh, we also like to let people know how to get in touch with Modern Litho and, and some of these cool companies. Uh, Cassandra, how do people learn more about Modern Litho?
4: Oh, um, go to our website, modernlitho.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. Um, Yeah, definitely reach out to us. We're very responsive. We'll get back to you. Um, We'd love to hear from you.
0: All right. Uh, Cassandra Atchison and Jeff Davidson from Modern Litho, I'm going to keep walking around and see what's going on at this beautiful open house. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Travis. Thanks for having us.
4: Yes, thanks, Travis.
2: Up next, we take you to Global Hacks 7 at Chaffetz Arena. Up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now. Back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Michael Calhoun on location on the floor where the basketball court would typically be here at Chaffetz Arena. It is filled, though, with computer programmers and others who are competing in this year's global hack. And as we've told you on KMOX, the theme this year is helping the foreign-born immigrants in the St. Louis area through the creation of software. And I'm here at the subject matter experts table. These are the folks who know what the issues are, what the problems are that need to be solved. And Shermaine Burris... Thank you so much for for helping me uh, understand what's going on here. How did you get involved with Global Hack, and how do you describe what's going on here today?
6: Yeah, so um, I just heard about the event. Actually, my boyfriend is a programmer, and so um, he let me know that it was going on, that the topic was um, immigration, and I have a background in that um, as a ESOL, English to Speakers of Other Languages teacher, and then also as um, an after-school program coordinator for immigrant youth. So I was really interested in seeing what people were coming up with and how it could help.
2: And people might think to themselves, Similarly, with some of the previous Global Hacks, wondering, you know, how can software help? Last time it was the homeless. This time it's foreign-born in St. Louis. How do you think software can make a difference in people's lives?
6: Um, I think, you know, I see a lot of our students, you know, have access to phones and um, are already using apps like Google Translate and such. And um, it's just a really... Um, it's a good platform, it's very accessible so it's you know, they don't have to go to you know, an institution or something that might be kind of intimidating and also it's something they can access from home um, and have available at all times and also it's easier to um, be able to get different language support through you know, technology so yeah, I think there's a lot out there and I'm kind of just seeing what people come up with
2: that's a great example, especially because communication seems like it's the first block. You've got to be able to talk with each other and understand each other in order to learn the challenges and to learn, you know, what needs to be done to help, help beyond that.
6: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, yeah, that's one of the the main barriers that I see with my students. And and honestly, a lot of them are already using like English learning apps to help them, you know, extra support at home. And I see, you know, that there's a lot of other ways that um, technology can really be an additional support in addition to what a lot of other organizations are doing. And it's also um, anonymous. So sometimes you can go there for questions that you wouldn't feel comfortable asking, you know, whether it be cultural taboos, what's okay, what's not okay whether it be a question of immigration status it's just something that could potentially be more anonymous
2: what are some of the questions because you guys are the experts I'm sure you've had folks from the teams coming up here with with different questions or wondering um, you know are they on the right track what kind of questions I guess have they had
6: A lot of questions of, you know, what's already available and how can we build on that as opposed to, you know, reinventing the wheel. A lot of questions of accessibility, Um, how do we make this something that people can use regardless of their English language abilities, Um, how can we just make it accessible to as many people as possible.
2: And how do you feel about the energy here? Have you been to a hackathon before and I'm sure this is Red Bull fueled like most of them are.
6: Um, this is definitely my first time. Um, somebody earlier said it's it's the quietest competition I've ever been to, but it's just really impressive to see how hard people are working and how engaged they are and just really hearing everybody's ideas and their interest in helping you know, other people is just really inspirational.
2: Well, Charmaine, thank you so much for giving some insight both to me and to the folks who are here. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's turn now to the executive director of Global Hack, Matt Minetti. We talked with you last week and you had to be a little vague about the problem that everybody's solving here today simply because everybody's got to start off on the same level, right? But now that the competition's underway, what are all of these teams working feverishly to solve?
7: Yeah, so we, uh, announced our, uh challenge statements on Friday night uh, so teams were eagerly anticipating what the different challenges were going to be on so we have um, four challenges, we also provided a fifth kind of open if they wanted, if they started talking with a caseworker, someone who was working with one of these uh, great organizations that um, work with individuals who are foreign born, if they um, you know, got an idea that were really excited about it, we wanted to kind of leave that open so we have a, a grab bag um, if they wanted to do that, so the, the four um, prompts we have, are the first one is around employment. Um, so, um, this is a, a major challenge for a number of organizations as well as the clients they work with, um, as soon as they get to the States trying to find, um, whether it's just a, a short-term job, something to just provide some income, um, or if they have a particular, if they're a skilled, uh, you know, if they have a skill set, whether they're an engineer or a physicist or something that they may have credentials in another country that may not transfer or there's language barriers. The other thing that came up during our, um, we had a panel on Friday evening, Um, with a number of different organization representatives. Um, Immigrants and refugees are among the highest, they have a higher propensity to actually start their own companies, their own ventures. And so this idea of being able to, um, of entrepreneurship, how how does that um, work with employment and how can we get more people starting businesses? The second one is around navigating resources and systems. So, um, when someone comes here, a lot of the things that we take for granted, like going to the doctor, going to the bank, securing like legal counsel, will be um, are just more difficult for individuals who are foreign born. So, how do we use technology to apply to those scenarios? The third one is called um, capturing lived experiences, so how do we chronicle stories, um, the journeys that individuals who are foreign-born take, whether that's crossing the border, whether that's um, uh, being a part of a a shared living community, um, being able to reconnect with loved ones back home, how do we use things like photo and video and data visualization to start telling those stories? And the last one is around finding community, Um, how do individuals that have you know, secured housing, secured a lot of those kind of basic um, resources, um, income. Um, wh- what, what, tr- what takes? You know, what builds home for them, what builds community, whether it's a place of worship, um, you know, a sport like soccer or music. um, How do we incorporate community so that individuals who come over here um, from from various countries have a sense of of home where they're where they're living? So those are the four different areas Um, team. We are encouraging teams to 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 just pick one um, to kind of focus their project on. And then we will see what they come up with by Sunday.
2: Well, let's take a look at one of these teams, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so out on the floor here at Global Hack and talking with?
8: Amanda Brine.
2: And? Ryan Mance. And so you guys have the problems. You've been working, I guess, for about a day or so now. What have have you worked on, or which one of the problems are you zeroing in on?
8: I'm actually better at front end, so I'm helping the guys design and make sure that everything looks pretty for the end project.
2: And what would the end project be for your group? I know there were four different problems that you could choose from. Mm -hmm. So basically the way that
1: it works is we just want to try and come up with a solution to help the caseworkers and the, you know, the department and organization be a little bit more efficient. So um, we kind of look at it as there are a lot of different problems, but what's the one underlying solution? Uh, And at the end of the day, we think it's just a lot of data collection and where you can kind of allocate the data and where you can put it and how you can get the outcomes you want. How did you guys come together
2: as a team?
8: We are actually from Claim Academy. We're a coding boot camp here in downtown St. Louis. Um, This team is actually a bunch of our students. Um, I'm the operations manager at Claim Academy, but the rest of the team is made up of students, either current or previous, who are just putting this together. Ryan is actually a student that's been in our program for only four weeks now, but he's doing an amazing job.
2: So what skills have you learned in Claim Academy that you're now putting to work here at this Marathon Hackathon?
1: Oh, I mean, beyond just the fact of uh, being a little bit more marketable and things like that, you learn things like C Sharp and Java. Um, I'm actually a full-stack Java developer, uh, learning a little bit of UX, front work, back-end work. Uh, You know, we're going to start getting into a little bit of SQL here with uh, MySQL and a lot of good stuff just to really be a little bit more efficient as far as not only just the day-to-day, but some of the loopholes that are kind of being uh, presented to certain you know, clients and customers versus business and development.
2: Ryan, had you been to a hackathon before? Have you experienced this atmosphere before? I have not. Not at all. <laughs> and how much caffeine have you consumed? Or maybe I should say, how much caffeine do you expect to consume before the finals and everything's done tomorrow? So I will
1: say that I personally am not a caffeine person. I get really hyped up just on the energy and the vibes and things like that. But I will say, though, that we slept here last night and um, there was a point in time where I did look at the coffee maker and said, maybe it's time to broaden my horizons and try coffee. But luckily, there was none there. So I'm still on water.
2: (laughs) And for folks who are wondering, Amanda... What is a hackathon? Are you trying to hack into my thermostat or something at home? How do you describe what a hackathon is, especially for folks who think about the themes of the last few, you know, immigration and homelessness, and how can software help in those situations?
8: I think it's more of how to hack a problem rather than a device or somebody's computer system. It's how do you hack a problem? How do you fix a problem that's presented to you using code, which a hacker could do, but this is more like a good hacking, not a, hey, we're going to take your bank in information oh your thermostat's going to go up to 90 tomorrow it's more just how do we solve a problem using computers and using computer code to make a difference in the world
2: well good luck to both of you guys and your team and i guess a day left right
8: it's good it's crunch time
2: (laughs) well good luck i'll let you guys get back to work amanda ryan from the claim academy team thank you so much thank you thank you have a good one so that's a look at Global Hack 7 here at Schaeffitz Arena, and the competition continues this Sunday. Winners to be awarded later tonight. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. We will talk to you again next week. We
1: get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?